Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message by Reverend Albert Okran. Identifying your career path. Identifying your career path. This is part one of a three-part series on career order. Identifying your career path, career order, part one. Over the next three sessions, we'll be traveling a journey that explores order in our careers. We'll start from today with how to identify our career paths And then we'll move on next week to how to grow our careers to the very top. And conclude in the third session with how to do business in deep waters. God has called each of us to a life of dominion. A life of dominion or the arena of dominion varies from person to person. Someone is called to achieve dominion as an artist. Someone here is a best-selling author in the making. Another person here is potentially an international diplomat. There are anointed pastors in this place. There are world-class artists, musicians, footballers, engineers, information technologists, social workers, or architects. The most important thing is that the first step to discovering or working in that dominion is to identify your path or your lane. If you want to pursue, overtake, and recover, you need to know your lane and run in your lane. If you run outside your lane, you run the risk of being disqualified. But when you run in your lane you increase the chances of success. Our foundational scripture is in Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 17. Isaiah 48 and verse 17. We're trying to achieve order in our careers by identifying our unique career path. Isaiah 48, 17. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. To profit is to make a return or a gain on something. When we say you've made profit, it means that you've obtained a financial advantage or benefit from an activity or engagement. When we work, we expect a profit, a return, or a salary for our efforts. Now, God is saying here in this verse that he's your career coach. He's saying that he's your teacher and he's your leader. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you how to make profit. That means that in order to make profit in your work, you must allow God to teach you. And he says, 
who leads you by the way you should go. That means that in some decisions you will be required to make in your career, you would require divine guidance to get them right. Without God's guidance, you can exert a lot of energy and effort and yet not make progress. But there is an aspect of this verse that very often we miss out on. Bible says, who teaches you to profit? And who leads you by the way that you should go? Let me submit to you that in this relationship with God, he does the teaching and you do the doing. Hallelujah. If God teaches you what to do and you do nothing, nothing will happen. If God teaches you and you don't make the profit, nothing will happen. If God leads you and you do not follow, your life will still remain stagnant. And so the underlying principle is of a partnership in which God does the teaching and we do the doing. Tell somebody to do the doing. Tell the person, God will teach you, but you must work. In trying to identify our career paths, we want to start with what a career is. What is a career? A career can be called a sequence, a certain order. A sequence and variety of occupations, both paid and unpaid, which one undertakes throughout a lifetime. Now, a sequence refers to a certain order of events. That means that your career could involve an order, one thing first, and then something else, and then a third thing. And I know many of you can identify with that because probably in your life, 10 years ago, you were doing something, and then you moved to something else, and then you've moved on to another thing. It's also a variety. That means that your career could have different components, a sequence and variety of occupations which one undertakes throughout your lifetime. It means that as you go on in your career, you could progress from one thing to another, all in a certain sequence. Importantly, it includes both paid and unpaid work. That means that in building your career, there will be things that you will do for which you are not paid, but which complete you as a person. And that is very important. If your focus is only on things that you get paid for, you miss out on your holistic developments. Some aspects of your life must be unpaid. Developmental in nature. Coaching, mentoring, serving, guidance. And so, a career is broader than a job. A job is anything you do that you get paid for that requires specific skills or attributes. And so, a person can say, listen, I'm, I got a job to do some photocopies in this office. A photocopy person is a job. You get paid for it and that's it. It is not even an occupation. It's just a job. Now, if somebody says, I'm a secretary, it in- involves a collection of related jobs in one industry or different industries. And so a secretary could do some photocopying work. He or she could do some filing. They could do some organizing. They could do some scheduling, appointments, meetings, errands. And so you will find that an occupation collects a group of jobs. But a career is even bigger than an occupation. Because your career involves not just the occupations you are involved in, but guess what? It includes your various roles in life, your leisure activities, 
your learning, and of course, your work. And so, those extra classes you are taking to add French is part of your career. Your work you are doing in church as a church worker is part of your career. Your leisure activities, the sports you play are part of your career. And you will find out as you go along that sometimes in a very keenly competitive job or or career opportunity, the fact that you play a sport alone could distinguish you from somebody else and help you get an advantage. And so it's all part of your career. Now, what is a career path? We say identifying your career path. What is a career path? A career path is a person's personalized guide that explores your career options and then maps out a route to your desired destination. Let me explain this. And so a person says, I want to get here in 10 years. Now, your personalized guide says, in the first three years, I will add value to myself by doing an additional course. And then I will learn a new language. And then I will go and understudy someone in that field for another two years. It is your roadmap. You know where you are trying to reach, but you have plotted a roadmap or a route to get to that destination. If we all want to go to Kumasi or Takradi, somebody can go to Tadi by road. Somebody could go by plane. Somebody could walk. Somebody could cycle. Somebody could actually go by ship. And so, your, your personalized guide doesn't only explore your intended destination, but also your route for getting there. Even for the same destination, our routes can vary. Imagine that in my 20-year development plan, I dream about becoming a caring and knowledgeable pastor who shares the principles of God's word through various interventions and media platforms to empower people to achieve true greatness. If that is my dream, it may be different from your dream. And so if that is captured in my 20-year plan, then based on that desired destination, my career path brings up questions like, which leader models the kind of destination or ideals I'm aspiring to? What kind of person must I be to achieve this goal? What skills must I acquire? What character must I exhibit? Which friendships, relationships, coaching, what kind of person should I marry? And I know many of you will be surprised to hear this. The kind of person you marry has a great influence on your career success. If you marry the wrong person, it can significantly hamper your career progress. So what kind of person must I marry in order to achieve my aspirations? What kind of education or development do I need? Where must I be by what time? And most importantly, what must I do now? These are the kinds of questions we ask when we are plotting our route to a desired destination. I have some interesting statistics for you that I would like to share. According to Deloitte's Shift Index survey, most people, 80%, are dissatisfied with their job. Are you surprised? Many people simply don't like the job they are doing. Kelly's global survey polled around 115,000 people in 33 countries and concluded up to half of them 
felt they had picked the wrong career. Out of 115,000 people interviewed in 33 countries, up to half felt that they had chosen the wrong career. Which means that many people are looking at themselves and asking, what am I doing here? Some are asking these questions throughout their lives. It is on record that many people, even when they are retiring, insist that they never did what they really wanted to do. Some of them admit that there's been an internal battle throughout their lives between cash and passion. What does it mean? The thing that they love, they think there's no money in it. And the thing they are doing that is bringing them the cash, they don't like it, but you have to do it to eat. Am I speaking to somebody? Wonderful. So many people are engaged. They are working. They are doing jobs. But they are not pursuing their dream. Pursuing a career they are passionate about. They wake up and they are going to work in the morning. And if you, 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 you drive in the traffic and you look into people's cars, you can see there's a person who is not happy going to work. And sometimes it's even more beautiful when you see the husband and wife. And even without knowing them, you can see through the glass that there is war. Why wake up every day and go to something you hate? Why do something you don't love and swear that next year, this is my last year, next year I won't go to this job again. And guess what? First January next year, you are back there. What are the most common reasons why we make a wrong career choice? Number one is money. The most common reasons why we do what we don't love is because they say there is money in this job. When you are growing up, you are socialized to believe that some jobs, there is money in it. People in choosing where to work often don't consider the developmental nature of the environment. The building of yourself. They don't consider fulfillment. They don't consider the work environment. The first consideration is the cash. Sometimes people leave one job to the next one because there is an offer of a few CDs more without looking at the implications. I recall a particular young lady who walked out of a very progressive organization because somebody offered her a few hundred CDs more. She left and went to this company that was supposed to be in exports without even asking what they export. Eventually, when she found out what they were exporting, she was at the police station. They indeed were exporting. Let's leave it there. Money is the first consideration. Number two is prestige. Prestige. People pursue a job or career path simply because they see it as being more prestigious, more trendy, more fashionable, more desirable. The third one is friends. My friends say we should do this job. It's amazing when you get to meet a lot of young people at secondary school level. Very often you get to arbitrate between children and their parents in debates about the parents saying, do this, and the, par- the child saying, I want to do this. And when you sit down with a child and ask them, why do you want to become an architect? Or what exactly is a land economist? They say, well, my friends and I want to go and do that course. <laughs> my friends. And your parents have struggled to take you th- through school. And you are telling them that the main reason why you want to do this job is because you and your friends have made a decision. Obviously, 
That's not a good enough excuse. The fourth one is societal pressure. They say there is no medical doctor from our village. Please, learn and become a doctor for us. And so you wake up every day and you are pursuing somebody else's expectation and you just simply hate chemistry. But they say become our village doctor. The fifth one is probably the most challenging one. And that is pursuing your parents' dream. They call it unfinished business. Your parents tried to do something and they couldn't do it, so you must do it. Finish the race. You must finish the course. And very often, many people have struggled to do what they are not suited for simply because they have to finish a race their parents could not finish. And very often, it leads to disaster. Now, there is power in uniqueness. Each of us is unique. We are different. Even identical twins have different career paths. In Psalm 139, verse 14, the Bible underscores the fact that we just are simply different. It says, I will praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. I love it. It says, fearfully, wonderfully, marvelous. Tell somebody, look at me. Fearfully, wonderfully, and marvelously made. Tell the person, clap for me. Please clap. The psalmist says, and that my soul knows very well. There is a certain kind of assurance that comes from knowing who you are and who God has made you. That sense of uniqueness is critical. And many have battled for years trying to be someone else only to find out that there may be a strong connection, but there is also unique expression. You may be strongly connected to somebody, but you also have your own unique expression. And so I want to use the scriptures to look at four people from the same family, the same genealogy, each of whom had a different career path. And one established that even though their career paths varied, each of them was very profitable and successful. Each of them went on to become a great achiever. And in doing this, I want to bring some comfort to somebody that what you are doing is not a disadvantage. And God is able to bless you wherever he has placed you. And so I want to look at Abraham as a pioneer or entrepreneur. Isaac as a second generation CEO or leader. Jacob as a business partner. And Joseph as an entrepreneur or a manager. These four people are from the same family. Great-grandfather, grandfather, father, and son. Same blood. One was a first-generation entrepreneur. The second one continued as a second-generation successor or leader. The third one did not start a business but went into partnership the fourth one did not own anything, but he managed everything. Let's work this from there. Let's start with Abraham, 
the first generation pioneer or entrepreneur. Who's an entrepreneur? For the benefit of this discussion, let's call an entrepreneur a person who identifies sellable ideas. Some ideas don't have selling power. So an entrepreneur identifies sellable ideas and then takes the risk to commit human, material, financial, and other resources in order to create solutions and make profit in the process. Stay here with me for a while. So an entrepreneur first identifies ideas. There are four things that you can see there. First, identifies ideas. And then commits resources. If you have an idea and you're not willing to commit resources, that idea will remain stillborn. And so commits diverse resources. The third thing you can see in the life of an entrepreneur is that they create solutions. An entrepreneur makes money from solving other people's problems. And so creates solutions. And the fourth one is at the heart of our discussion today. That is, make profit in the process. Make profit in the process. One established the fact that Abraham identified an idea. He gathered the resources. He created solutions. And he made profit. So let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 12. And look at the genesis of Abraham's business. Genesis chapter 12. And let's read from verse 1. To verse 5. Genesis chapter 12. The profile of Abraham as a pioneer or entrepreneur. Bible says, now the Lord has said to Abraham. Or Abraham. Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan, so they came to the land of Canaan. Interesting. We've looked at the profile of a typical entrepreneur. And if you look at Abraham, the first thing you see was a new idea or a venture which had some risk in it. Bible says that God came to Abraham and said, get out. To get out means to depart from his comfort zone. To get out means to step into the unfamiliar. Abraham is a typical founder. He or she sets out with a fresh idea, starts a new business, makes a major change in direction. This takes a person outside his or her comfort zone and could be risky. 
And Abraham is the kind of person who gets a degree and straight away starts a business. Doesn't bother to look for a job. And Abraham gathers a few people in the classroom and starts an international church. And Abraham walks away from a well-paying job to go and pioneer a new venture without any assurance of success. Abraham opens the way for several others to follow. And so he pursues a new idea or a venture and takes some risk. The second thing we see about Abraham is that there is an opportunity that is driving him. Bible says that God spoke to him and said, I will make you, I will make you a great nation. That represented an opportunity. Let's all see opportunity. Let's all see a promise. An entrepreneur sees a promise. A promise that often other people don't see. It may be based on scientific research. It may even be based on feasibility studies. But the person has seen something nobody else has seen. And Abraham's own was not based on research. It was based on supernatural revelation. Let me submit to you, my friends, that sometimes the business ideas we run with simply come from supernatural connection. You are just sitting in church and something just drops in your spirit. You can't explain it to anyone, but you just know this is help from above. May help come to somebody in this season. May God grant somebody a divine idea you didn't have before. Hallelujah. Abraham was carrying the invisible and the impossible. Abraham is like a pregnant man. He's holding something nobody else can experience. But that thing is so strong within him. And he knows where he can go with that thing. Now for several of us, there is a vision you are carrying. There is something you are pregnant with. There is something in your heart. Somebody else may not understand it, but that thing is there. And you know it has great prospect and great promise. Abraham is mindful that others may disagree with what you are doing. In a certain sense, you may even look funny when you try to explain it. But Abraham believes that tomorrow, those who laugh at you today will respect you. Hallelujah. May God cause people to come around your vision in the future and to see the picture he has shown to you. The third thing you see about Abraham was action. For me, that is one of the most important things about Abraham. Because the Bible says, after God spoke, Abraham departed. Why is that important? Because many of us here, we get a new idea the new venture. We see the promise, the opportunity, and we sit at one place and say, this thing is powerful. The day this thing is released, it will shake this continent. And you've been saying that for the past five years, and you are still sitting at one place. Now, what is the point in seeing the idea and having the conviction about the opportunity, but staying at one place? Abraham acted on his convictions. Bible says he departed. Was he sure? No. Why did he move? Because God had spoken. Action is the proof of your conviction. Abraham ran with his vision. For whatever you believe in, there comes a time when you must move from talking about it to acting on it. Tell somebody action now. Tell the next person action now. Abraham acted on his convictions. The fourth thing we see about Abraham 
was that he mobilized resources. Bible says about Abraham that he took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and all the people they had acquired. Abraham did not make a partial commitment to the vision. He put in his money, he put in his family, he put in his resources and everything he had. If you believe in something and you are not willing to put anything in it or anything of value in it, your belief is suspect. If you really love something, you are willing to give up something for that something you love. Abraham was sold out to his vision and willing to commit diverse resources to make it happen. Tonight, the question you need to ask yourself, what are you willing to invest in that vision God gave you? That dream you are carrying in your heart, what are you willing to invest in it? Isaac represents a different kind of entrepreneur. He did not start the business. His father started a business. But by virtue of blood relation, Isaac inherited the business. Let's look at the profile of the second generation CEO. In Genesis 26, Bible says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous, for he had great possessions of flocks and possessions of heads and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped all the walls which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerah and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the walls of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. Also, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. Hallelujah. Isaac represents the person who inherits a business started by somebody else. A second generation leader appointed by the shareholders, the founders. Isaac is aware that he didn't birth it with his blood. But he also respects the fact that somebody toiled and went hard to birth that business. The biggest challenge of many of us who have started businesses is to be able to grow it to a point and find the Isaac to carry it beyond you. Research has shown that many Ghanaian businesses don't last more than one generation. In fact, many times by the time the founder of the business passes, the business is dead long ago. The challenge for many of us building businesses today is to raise it so strong and ultimately to find the Isaac who will take it to the next level. Isaac understands the spirit of the founder and is able to add value to the original entity. How does that happen? The next thing Isaac does is to rebuild and to expand it. To rebuild it and to expand it. 
The principle is this. In verse 15, we see a man who, as he begins to prosper, redicts the walls that the enemy has filled up. Now, Abraham builds a business and digs some wells. He fights a lot of battles. Maybe in his old age, a bit tired. He has done his bit. Some of the walls are lost to the Philistines or they fill them with earth. Now, Isaac takes over. Typical Isaac, gone to do an MBA. Gone to learn new modern ways of doing things. He comes into the business. He brings in new energy. And Bible says some of the grounds that his father had lost in terms of the Philistines filling them with earth, he redicts and reclaims those grounds. What does it mean? It means that the next generation leader must bring more value to what the original leader had done. Any grounds that may have been lost along the line, that new leader must add value to it. For many of us, going on to learn about new media, new technologies, new things, when you are brought into an organization, your challenge is to build beyond where the first generation has built it to. Your knowledge of Facebook is not for posting pictures of your best lunch. Your understanding of social media is not for entertainment only. It is also for bringing new dimensions of thought, marketing, and strategy to your organization. If not, please don't complain if you are paid the same thing you were paid last year or last two years. Tell somebody, add value. Tell the next person, add value. Tell the person, it goes beyond entertainment. Isaac fights and wins back territories that Abraham had lost. The third thing Isaac did that was significant is that he retained the foundational values. Now, that is very important. Bible says that the wells that his father had dug, that had been filled with earth, when he dug them again, he called them by the same names his father had called them. What was he saying? Yes, I may have gone to business school. Yes, I may have come with new ideas, but those original values of respect, the culture of service and hard work and diligence, I cannot throw them away. Sometimes when we come with new technology, new ideas and new understanding, we want to collect everything that is there and throw it all away. Retain the values that were used to birth the business. Many of us are having challenges in our workplaces. You come from university with fresh ideas and you say, they are not allowing me. The reason why you're not making progress is that instead of appreciating what foundations were laid before you came, your first thing upon arrival is to condemn everything that is there. Tell somebody, you can't do that. Somebody laid a foundation before you came. Somebody built something and burst it with blood before you came. Appreciate it. Hallelujah. And even though you will bring in new technologies, the company was based on respect for the customer, diligence, integrity, transparency. Those ones, retain them and add your technology. Isaac said, we will bring on technology, but we will retain the values. We will retain the identity. Hallelujah. I am convinced that Isaac brought technology because the Bible says that as he began to dig the wells, the Philistines followed him and filled them. At a point, they got tired of filling because the man was digging faster than they were filling. You can't dig that way with your hands. He brought new systems, 
new technology, new ways of doing things, but he respected the foundation. Tell somebody, respect the foundation. Tell somebody, uphold the values. The fourth thing Isaac did was to discover new things. Discover new territories. Bible said that his servants dug new wells. That means that when you are brought into an entity, as a new generation leader, as an appointed leader, bring in new products, open up new media spaces. In your workplace, if you want to be promoted, open up new opportunities for the organization. Think up new media opportunities, new websites, new branches, new product lines. Prepare a service charter. Stretch things. Hallelujah. You can only distinguish yourself if you bring on new value to what Abraham built. The third patriarch we want to examine is Jacob. Jacob has a very interesting story. His story was not of somebody who founded a business. His story was of somebody who had the skill but lacked the resources. And many of us find ourselves in that place where you know how to do something, but you need the money. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 25, Bible says, And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please, stay here if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learnt by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Then he said, Name me your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when shall I also provide for my own house? So he said, What shall I give you? Now pause. And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Jacob is somebody working in a hostile environment. He said, my boss doesn't like me. My workplace is difficult. My promotion has stagnated. My performance review has been squeezed to my disadvantage. Jacob was working in an unfavorable environment. Bible says that his salary was adjusted downwards several times. I don't know if you have experienced that. Instead of going upwards, his salary was going downwards. The terms of his employment contract were reviewed to his disadvantage unilaterally, without consultation. Now, Jacob has a shrewd taskmaster called Laban. And ideally, he would have said, why don't I walk away? But he can't walk away because his destiny is tied to Laban. That is where his wife is. That is where his money is. It's a very interesting relationship. His business, his finances, his relationships, his marriage is all tied to the man called Laban. So Jacob is blessed but not self-sufficient. He's blessed but for him to do what he wants to do, he needs somebody. It's like a musician who has written songs but needs a producer. Somebody who has written a book but needs a publisher. You have an idea, you don't have the capital. You will need Laban. You don't like him, but you will need him. (laughs) 
And you see, Laban, God brings a Laban into your life to complete you. God, is, I can imagine Jacob saying to Laban, because he said to Laban, listen, enough is enough. Let me go. Laban said, no. I have learned by experience that God has blessed me because of you. The question you ask is, if God has blessed me because of you, then why are you treating me this way? But you know, Laban thinks of only one thing, the prophet. Laban doesn't think about you. So if you're going to work with the Laban, you don't resort to emotional complaints. And Laban is not trying for me. You must think of how to give Laban what he wants and make sure you also get what you need. Hallelujah. Tell somebody you need a Laban. You need Laban. So Laban has no conscience. As for Laban, the only thing he hears is profit. When you mention profit, Laban will be happy. So instead of complaining about Laban and telling everybody about how your promotion has been stunted, partner with Laban. How do you do that? Negotiation. You need negotiation skills if you are a Jacob. If you have a recording and you don't have the capital, you need negotiation skills. If you've written songs and you don't have money, you need negotiation skills. Life will not give you what you deserve. Life will give you what you negotiate for. So Jacob sits with Laban and says, I have a plan that will bring you money. Laban says, money? The moment he mentions money, he gets Laban's undivided attention. He says, this, this will bring you more money than you thought. Laban says, let's talk. So Jacob designs a scheme that will bring Laban profit. But he builds a commission system into the scheme to ensure that he too, he will get some. And then as he begins to work, God uses the framework he has built to bless him. God has put you in some place that you have the potential to get an advantage. But the scheme you are working with is not favoring you. Go back and renegotiate. Think, pray. In this season, as we pursue, overtake and recover, ask God for wisdom to negotiate. Sometimes it's just one word, one idea, one concept, one solution, and one discussion. And Laban says, I like this one. Tell somebody ideas. Tell somebody concepts. Tell somebody solutions. May God grant somebody divine wisdom to negotiate with Laban. Laban is not moved by your tears or your complaints. Laban likes the cash. Discuss with Laban. At some stage in your life, you need to partner with somebody that is sent your way. The person may be difficult, but you need to forge a partnership for your advantage. The fourth thing you see about Jacob was a strategic and patient outlook. Many of us are impatient to see profit immediately. Now, when Laban said, what can I give you? Somebody would have said, increase my salary immediately. Give me an additional bonus or add, add a car. Jacob said, no, I don't need anything from you. And the moment he said that, Laban paused. He's used to people asking. He says, I don't need anything from you. And then he said, let's work out a partnership of mutual benefit. And he worked the scheme out and succeeded. Have a strategic outlook, a long-term perspective. This is a man who had great patience. After all, he worked 14 years for his wives. He had patience. 
Tell somebody you need patience. You need patience. Not every benefit, not every reward will come to you immediately. Some of them you need to work patiently and strategically. Jacob builds strategic partnerships in order to gain an advantage. I want to leave you with five ways to identify your unique career path. Five ways to identify your unique career path. Are you an Abraham? Are you an Isaac? Are you a Jacob? Or are you a Joseph? How do you make the right choices to enable you to kickstart your career? If you are on the wrong road, is it too late? If you find out that what you are doing is not what you were meant to do, do you stop? What do you do? Number one, know yourself. Know yourself. Each of us is different. Our socialization, how we grew up. If you grew up in Bonnyre, you know how to weave kinte. You grew up seeing it. You are different from me. And so, know where you grew up. Know what languages you speak. Know your genetic makeup. If you are an Abedi Peles child, even before you are born, there is some football in your leg, not like mine. So, know your genetic makeup. Know the family you were born into. Know your interests, your passion, your personality type. Some people are calm, quiet, calculating, very good at internal audit. Legal, surgery. Some are very excited, excitable personalities, good in marketing, good in public speaking, but not good in calculated, patient work. Know yourself. If you know yourself, you even know what to apply for and what not to apply for. Not everybody can do every kind of work. Know yourself. Know your environment. What are the opportunities in the environment? What are the risks? And what is the culture? in the environment you're operating in. Number two, develop a career plan. I want to get here in 10 years' time. This is what I want to become. These are the milestones. In my first three years, I must get a degree. Then I must add a language. Then I must do some pupillage or, or, or mentoring or apprenticeship or internship, attachment, whichever you want to call it. Now, a long-term perspective may look like it is far away, but like a 20-year plan, it will by all means come. The years will by all means come and, come and go. Hey, law school, medical school, you, you, you counted the number of years, but the years will by all means come. So draw a career plan, a long-term perspective. Number three, create a unique pathway. You are different. There is only one you. Look at the unique combination of your life skills, your experiences, your learnings, your language, your passion to create an indispensable, unmovable, unshakable, irreplaceable person. Create somebody special because there's only one you. Think about how you can sell yourself as a unique person. God made you special. Hallelujah. The fourth thing you must do in finding your unique career path is to explore multiple careers. Let me take a minute to explain this because when we're growing up, we're made to believe that careers are linear. I want to become a doctor, a lawyer, a pharmacist. You had only one thing in your mind. 
And while there's nothing wrong with that, I want us to familiarize ourselves with the possibility of layering, leveraging, multitasking. And so a person can become a doctor, an internet blogger, a journalist, and an author at the same time. Sanjay Gupta on CNN is a medical doctor cum journalist. He's a specialist journalist on medical issues. So you can do multiple things with your gifts and abilities. Stretch yourself in varied, unique ways. So doctor, blogger, journalist, author. Tonight when you sit down, before you sleep, think about a unique combination you can bring to bear on your career. A pastor, counselor, media educator, author. Nice combination. And they are all related. You can be a management consultant, a member of parliament, a church worker, a husband, an editor of a newspaper. You can combine things in different ways to allow you to use different skills to add value to yourself. Revise your traditional concept about your career and add layers. The final point I would like to make is tap into divine strategy. One thing that is common to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph was that they all tapped into divine strategy. They all depended on God, on God's guidance and God's help. These were people who worked extremely hard, but they also knew that without God, they couldn't achieve the victory. You may be asking yourself questions about your career and wondering whether this is all that there is to it. I don't know where your career has been. Somebody says my career has stagnated for some years now. Somebody is saying, maybe it's a bit too late for me considering my age. Somebody is saying, how can I pursue, overtake, and recover when I should be thinking of retiring? I came to tell somebody that there is hope for the future. I came to tell somebody that God is never too late. I came to tell somebody that no matter how far you've gone on the wrong road, God is able to turn things around. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert and E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences, and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233-2499-99000. You may also subscribe to www.albertokran.com, amazon.com, or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember, you are blessed indeed. Searching for